Welcome to the Leadership Void Podcast. Enrique and Vince here, and we're all about helping you develop and fill the areas of void in your leadership. Let's get started. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Leadership Void Podcast. I'm Enrique with my co-host, Vince, to bring you the best in our veteran, military spouse, and first responder community, and Vince will introduce today's guest. Absolutely. Thank you, Enrique. Ken Lester is with us today. He has served the Seminole County community for 24 years as the circuit judge, court judge here in Florida. So Ken, welcome to the show. Start off, tell the audience a little bit about you. Well, I'm very glad to be here today. Thank you, Enrique. Vince. It's a pleasure to be uh, with the folks here in Central Florida. I grew up in Central Florida. I went to school in Orange County. Uh, in my senior year in high school at Boone High School, I joined the United States Navy when I was 17. Uh, I didn't read the fine print. I could have sworn it said the Mediterranean cruise, but somehow uh, a few years later, I wound up on the opposite side of the world. And I was in Vietnam as a teenager in combat. Uh, they also had a thing called an early out, but I found out the early out is once you got back to the United States, it wasn't when you were over in Vietnam. So again, I decided somewhere I need to start reading the fine print. Uh, went to undergraduate graduate at the University of Central Florida and law school at the University of Florida. Started school at age 20, finished up at age 26, immediately took the bar exam, started practicing. Uh, when I first started practicing, I did it with a firm that promised me very low pay, but lots of experience. And so who can resist that? I mean, you know, that's a natural for me. So I went ahead and I got a lot of experience at a very early age, transitioned into my own firm with a partner a couple of years later. And then practiced uh, all over the state of Florida, all over the country, in fact, a variety of cases, civil and criminal. Did that for 16 years. Thought that I had enough experience to uh, do a transition into the judiciary. And you always have that doubt in the back of your mind. Am I really experienced enough? Did I really do enough to prepare me for this very, what I say, significant leap in the profession? But I thought I did. I ran for judge. I was fortunate, got elected. I served for 24 years, had a good run, got some good ratings while I was judge, primarily in circuit criminal, which is the worst of the worst, unfortunately. Uh, also did probate, guardianship, uh, dependency, uh, delinquency, and a variety of other different matters, civil, of course. And I enjoyed it immensely. Uh, at age 61, I was told that I had to retire in my last term there because the law at that time was you had to be 70. Uh, by the you, you had to have at least half your term under your belt by the age of 70. I missed that by four months. And so what happened is naturally in the last part of my retirement process, they changed the law. They changed it to where you can be uh, hard 75 to be a judge. And so now I'm qualified to do that. I can run for judge. Come up four months short at the end, but I'll go ahead and I'll donate that uh, as a senior judge for free. And so it's like getting a judge for free for those last four months. So I'm happy to be back. I'm happy to be involved with the judiciary again in this race for a uh, County Court Judge. What an amazing career. Thank you for your service, uh, first of all, you know, in the Navy, and then uh, transitioning uh, to what we will see, uh, a a lawyer to a judge. I mean, that's a long trajectory, uh, and and you've done such a great job. Uh, It's funny, as you say, uh, you know, you start the promise of... (laughs) Low pay, a lot of experience, and then you're finishing up by donating <laughs> free. Uh, but uh, what what a career, and, and we are so grateful for what you've done. Now, tell us a little bit about the role of a court judge. Well, 
the court judges are different in most of the states, but we still have the same reoccurring theme. We have a constitution in the United States. We all agree to live by the law. And for those of us who, for one reason or another, feel that somebody else has not agreed to live by the law, we have certain avenues of relief. It can be in the criminal court system. It can be in the uh, civil court system. And that's basically how it's broken down to. If you do uh, a violation of the law against society, you're going to wind up in the criminal court system. If you have a beef with another person, another company, uh, the neighbor's dog is barking too loud, you wind up in civil court. It's that simple. In Florida, we have a very uh, tiered court system. We have a county court, which is for local matters which occur in our situation in Seminole County. Uh, if they're going to be civil disputes, they're $30,000. They go up to $50,000 in a couple months. Uh, and if they're criminal matters, they're basically matters which can be punished by up to a year in the county jail. That's the breakdown. We also have circuit courts in Summer County, but the circuit uh, includes Brevard County. It's the 18th Judicial Circuit. And that includes felony matters, which are punishable by the ultimate penalty and also can result in state prison. And we have civil matters where there's no limit. And those are the breakdowns for that. If you are dissatisfied with any result that you receive in those two courts, you can appeal it to the appellate court system. And our appellate, our appellate district court is the fifth district court of appeals. If you don't like that, you can go to the Supreme Court. There are some very serious type of cases where you can go directly to the, to the Supreme Court, but that doesn't happen very often. I think uh, uh, when, you, when you're a judge and, you, and you're involved in the system, it's, it's common sense for the most part. Uh, compassion must always be present. You have to have a lot of understanding for folks. You need to understand that there, for the grace of God, goes I in a lot of these situations. And you're dealing with your, your fellow citizens, your brothers, your sisters, your, your friends, your, your co-workers, some people you don't know, some people you do know. You treat everybody the same. You have to make sure that they feel comfortable when they come into court. And I believe that's the biggest difference from what perhaps you see on TV and in the movies versus reality. You want people to feel that this is part of their community, part of their society, and that they are not going to be abused, disrespected, they are going to be listened to. They are going to be considered. They are going to be able to relax and think about what's going on in court so that they can make a good decision. As a judge, my purpose is create an atmosphere so that the attorneys and the participants can feel that they understand what is going on and they can make a good decision. You're not necessarily in a situation where you can make a great decision because you're just in court. You know, Nobody wants to be in court. If you want to be in court, then you have a problem to begin with. And it's like an airplane landing. I always tell people, as long as you can walk out of court, it's a good day. And so if you're in, in court, I always imagine that just from doing it for so many years that you do your best work when the judge gives you an opportunity to put on your case and listen to it. As I often said, judge, I don't need your help. I can lose the case on my own. I really don't need your help. And so when you get in court, you want to have an atmosphere where the attorneys are able to do the heavy lifting. They're able to listen to their clients, get the point across, and do it in a very reasonable, amiable fashion so that they feel they're getting their best work product to the judge. If it's something I have to make a decision about, that's the way it is. If they're uh, pleading their case to a jury, then they can work with the jury the best way. And lots of times, uh, what happens in the court, again, is much different from what you see in the movies or reality. Uh, when we are picking juries, I usually ask most of the serious jury questions. I ask the ones that are more personal nature so that there are no aspersions cast on the attorneys. And so if I was to ask you something very particular or special after you give me a hint that you perhaps have been a victim of a particular type of crime, 
you don't want the attorney to have to ask that. I'll go ahead and ask that because I'm more of a neutral person and it won't weigh heavy on either side that's in the litigation at that time, either the state of defense, let's just say if it's a criminal case. So if there's been a record of a prior attack and you don't feel it was dealt with properly either by the police or somebody else, you're not going to have, if you're in the state, you're not going to feel like you've been uh, short-sheeted, so to speak, by asking that question by the defense. You're not over there high-fiving your client at the same time because the judge has done something uh, to put the state on the short end. So you feel that you can have all, almost all the serious questions asked by the judge. And in fact, I tell the attorneys ahead of time, if you have something that want, that you want me to ask, that you don't want to have, a, so to speak, tagged on your side, go ahead and write it down. I'll ask the question if it's appropriate. When you get finished with the jury process, uh, you, you'd like to talk to the jurors if, if possible. In some situations you can't, in others you can't. And you wanna make sure that you don't talk, you're not talking about the case. You wanna make sure that they feel that this was a good result for society. You want to make sure that they are feeling that our society is functioning properly, that when citizens come before the court system, that they're getting a reasonable resolution. They're getting a fair hearing. The law is being applied common sense is being utilized. We often tell the jurors, it's actually in the official jury instructions, please don't leave your common sense outside. Bring it into the jury room with you. You know, when you hear hoofbeats, think horses, not zebras. And so when you're in there, you wanna have a lot of normalcy in the system. You wanna have it replete with normalcy. You wanna have a redundancy with nor, uh, system or normalcy. And so the long and short of it is, you want it to be exactly the same way you would wanna be treated in effect, you always want the golden rule to be enforced. Treat us the same way I would treat you. I'll treat you the same way you treat us. And that's all there is to it. Uh, obviously, there's a few technical aspects. You know, that's law school about that and everything else. You know, and so 40 some odd years later, all that I find out, uh, you think you know stuff and you say, well, I forgot more law than I do. There's always something new to learn. And you realize how broad the field of law is and how much there is to learn. So you're constantly learning. You're constantly being taught new things by attorneys. Uh, it's more enjoyable every day is about the best way I can describe it. And if you like people, and if you like the easiest job in the world, you only have to do the right thing every time, all the time. So there's really no problem with the job. So it's not that hard, you know, when it boils down to it. And if you like people, and if you like your community, it's a really good job. Well, Ken, thank you for sharing such a wonderful process that we do not get to hear, but we see on TV and we base our assumptions on that. So you cleared a lot of definitely uh, the impact you have creating first the atmosphere, right? Uh, for the individuals coming in, because it's like some folks hate going to the dentist, right? So you create a great atmosphere. It's like going to the dentist sometimes. <laughs> so uh, definitely all your experience that you shared in these last couple of minutes about the whole process, we definitely commend and thank you for doing it and sharing with, with our audience. Now, the transition that happened basically a few years ago with not a transition, actually the impact the pandemic had, how did that influence or impacted the uh, judicial system as a whole? Well, we are sort of like, we deal with your legal health. Doctors deal with your medical health. And I always thought that you want to go to your doctor and you want your doctor to look at you. And when you have your doctor view you in a two-dimensional fashion, it's just not the same. Uh, much can be said for the judicial system and the legal system being the same way. You want to be able to look at people and seeing them in a two-dimensional fashion by a Zoom call or otherwise is not necessarily the best way to get a good read on a person if you're actually doing some judging. And this is for a lot of matters which are very, I'll call 
personal in the legal system versus ones which are a little bit more esoteric, a contract issue, a real estate issue, something along those lines, a little bit more esoteric. But if you're dealing with something like the order of a child visitation, if you're dealing with a dependency matter where parents are being restricted with respect to their visitation of children, a criminal matter, you want to see face-to-face, -face, you want to see micro burst of expressions on people's faces, and you can't necessarily see that over the video camera as well. And so it takes a little bit of the human element out of the equation, which I think since we are dealing with our fellow citizens, you always want to have that human equation in there the best way possible. And uh, unfortunately, the pandemic uh, has impacted upon that, what I consider to be very adversely as far as that matter is concerned. <clears throat> in other areas, the pandemic has helped us immensely. It's uh, reduced the expenses and the costs with traveling because here we are, all of us, you know, uh, various locations, we're all meeting together. Instead of having to hop in your car and travel for an hour to go to the courthouse, sit outside, perhaps wait a half an hour, have a hearing, and three hours, uh, you can do it in a much more reasonable fashion, much more economical fashion. Your client isn't charged so much. It doesn't take as much as the court's time. Time in court is, uh, I at least in criminal court, I tell attorneys, time in court is wasted time lots of time because you're not getting all your product out. You're not getting things resolved. They're not doing your investigation. And so if you can save time from having to travel and go to court, you're going to be able to call, uh, pass the savings on and you'll actually have more time to research and to go ahead and work on your case versus traveling as we all know. So I think the pandemic is a uh, win-lose proposition to a certain degree. I, I think for the most part, we're gonna be happy to get past that. We're gonna keep the good parts of what transpired during the pandemic. And that is going to be the Zoom calls, the ability to get in touch with people a little bit quicker than before. But we're also going to be happy to get away from the uh, bad portions, which is taking away the human element, being able to meet with each other. And there's a lot to be said for attorneys and other participants being able to go to the courthouse on certain days, we'll call it docket family days, where they all get together and they actually discuss and they say what's been going on in the community, what's happening legally. What do you know about this particular jurisdiction? What do you know about this particular officer? What do you know about this particular prosecutor? What do you know about this particular judge? There's a lot to be said when everybody can get together and talk about that versus in a sterile environment, perhaps. So good and bad. And I, uh, I agree. There's uh, been good and bad uh, throughout all uh, communities, right? And, and every organization have experienced that. But you mentioned something that I love. Let's keep the good. Let's take that that we can capitalize on and go from there. Now, you mentioned a little bit about your future, but what's on the horizon for you, uh, Judge, uh, in terms of your career and, and your future? Well, I still have a lot of tread on the tire, I think. And so I am running for a county court judge. It's a six-year job. Uh, and and here's, here's the biggest question I've gotten before. Circuit court judge is a judge above. Uh, we do more serious matters in circuit court. And they're saying, don't you consider the motion or why are you going backwards? And I said, actually, a number of years ago, I expressed to my fellow circuit judges, I would love to be a county court judge before this ever came up. To me, it's where you're actually dealing with the true judging aspects of the profession. In circuit court, uh, you're dealing uh, sometimes with the toughest cases in criminal law in society. You're dealing with the really big cases in civil law. And commonly, you might refer to them as the fat cat cases, you know, where there's a lot of dollars on the line. You're dealing with, let's say, major developers, uh, very serious personal injury cases. They may be malpractice cases, large dollar amounts. 
huge development cases that have gone awry. Perhaps the city has done something that you don't like, maybe civil rights cases, things of that sort. But I've experienced all those, I've done those both in private practice and as a circuit court judge. And I give this example to sort of say why I think it's important for the citizens of Seminole County to consider me as their next county judge. Suppose you had a child who had an accident at the, at the playground, they're on the monkey bars, and that seems to be the number one culprit for accidents on the playground. You slip, you fall, and your child breaks your arm, breaks his arm. You go into the emergency room, and the emergency room doctor is there, but all of a sudden, the chief of surgery just happens to be there and comes down and says, hey, I'm here, I'll take care of it. Would you be upset if the chief of surgery came down, who is an orthopedic surgeon, to look at your child? I don't think so. I sort of view myself in that respect. I've had all this experience for all the people who have been, so to speak, the worst of society, the ones who have had the best financial situation in society, and it's been spent and directed towards them. Why can't the ordinary citizens get a very skilled jurist come and listen to their cases who has a wide range of proportionality? That means I have seen thousands of cases, thousands and thousands of cases, who realizes that the sun doesn't rise and set on county court, that life will go on. If this is just one day in your life, we're going to survive this. We're going to resolve this. Let's see if we can walk out of here with a reasonable resolution. I don't think you're going to get a perfect resolution, as often been said, and what I, we'll talk about this later on. I don't like to see perfect as the enemy of good. I think if we can get a good result out of this situation, I'm very happy. And I believe that because of my experience and what's happened in my career, not only in the legal, legal field, but also in business, that I have something that can be brought to the ordinary citizens of Seminole County. And that's why I'm running for county court judge. And that's why I'd like to see uh, a little bit of what I call that experience that I have rub off in county court. Absolutely. You definitely have tread on the tires and good luck with the county court uh, being nominated and running for that uh, prestigious opportunity. So uh, judge, let's transition, talk a little bit about leadership. Uh, Ken, what do you do in your spare time that aids you to thrive in your professional life? Well, I think that you have to go ahead and you have to remain in the community and talk with other folks that are doing the same thing as you. I Believe it or not, I've seen enough judges in my life, so I don't really associate with judges in my spare time and everything. We get together every now and then, you know, but we have a, a legal education, things like that, continuing legal education. There's always going to be conferences and things of that sort. But, you know, in our spare time, when we're in the courthouse, we sit together and we discuss how to deal with particular matters and how to, how to deal with this particular type of situation. But after we leave the courthouse, you leave that behind to a certain extent. And in talking with ordinary people, I like to talk with my friends who are in business, with my friends who are doing other things. And I've found that there's a couple of different avenues of uh, what I call relaxation and relief that give me a lot of insight into the human condition. One of those is coaching. I've always a lot, uh, enjoyed coaching uh, and, and kids for wrestling and things of that sort. I by no means am a great coach. I am a fair to average coach, but I know not to say, just do something. I know not to say that to a kid out there, just do something. I will not say that to a kid. I will give them no instruction or else I will tell them do X, Y, Z. And so the same thing happens in court. I've learned from that, and believe it or not. Sometimes just don't say anything. It's better than giving the wrong instruction. You know, as a judge, we often say nobody ever listens themselves into trouble. So why don't you just sit there and let them think? He is really thinking about this case very hard. I said, 
God, I never knew it was this complex, you know, why at the same time. So I think from coaching, it gives you another look at a way of resolving a, a problem or a situation that's uh, popping up, cropping up immediately. And so there's an immediacy to the situation. And what that does, it, tra it translates to how people go in the court feel the, the situation is. They have an immediate need to try and get this resolved. As a judge, we don't feel that immediacy all the time. We don't feel that urgency all the time because we can sit back and we're trying to get a result that is appropriate and not all the time is that a timely result. We want to get a good result, but a lot of people have immediate needs, being in business, being in sports, being in medicine. And so from coaching, I've, I've learned that's what translates to a lot of people's situation when they go into the doctors, when they go into business, when they go into any type of activity in court also. And so you have to be cognizant of that. Uh, believe it or not, I like to do a lot of physical labor and I like to do construction work, gardening, things of that sort, because I think it makes you realize that the, there's a lot of people out there and you can say fortunate or not. Sometimes I think they're more fortunate than me to be out there working outside, soaking up the sunshine of being able to breathe the clean air and getting their hands dirty and just being able to sweat. And so, lots of times I think, you know, that's a, that's a great job. When I joined the Navy, I never planned on going to college. People always say, why? I said, I, I just didn't see it. I always enjoyed being outside, working, doing physical labor. And, you know, after a while, I said, well, you know, there may be something else to this. And uh, I tried the college route, and I wound up enjoying that. But I never left that behind. Uh, my father was an engineer, and my grandfather was a construction superintendent. So there's always been some aspect of building or doing physical labor in my life. And I think that makes me appreciate when somebody comes in and they've been injured and they can't work again, or somebody has some type of medical problem where they can't work, or somebody has something that has occurred in their house or their construction that was not done up to par and they feel they've suffered. I understand a little bit about that, not from the legal standpoint, just from the practical standpoint, and understand how accidents and mistakes can happen also. So it's a two-way street. I absolutely love uh you know, the fact that you, you mentioned, you know, you don't get in trouble by, by listening, right? Nobody's ever gotten in trouble just by listening. So, um, you know, and you, you, you started your career at 26 years old, very young, uh, I would say, uh, to start in the legal field and, and just uh, go into lawyer and, and, and look at you now, uh, judge, you, you, you've had a, a great run. Now, when it comes to all that time, I'm sure that someone, and you mentioned coaching, I'm sure that someone uh, gave you some great advice that you said, you know, I'm going to carry that till I'm done. Um, what uh, advice did you get when you was younger that you would like to pass on to an emerging leader today? Well, like I said, I went to school in Orange County. And back then, you, you would think that Orange County was a very small county. Orlando had not had Disney uh, on the horizon yet. And so it was, this was a small town. And you think that you may not get a good education in the public school system. I got a superior education. I, I got what I consider to be a classical education. In fourth grade, we were discussing the Stokes. And I had a teacher that if you got hurt on the playground and you were crying, she would come over to you and say, is that a big hurt or a little hurt? And it's a little hurt, but then you shouldn't be crying. You should control that, you know? And so we would have almost a Stoic philosophy at that early of the time uh, in, in fourth grade. And it was Miss Yancey. And Miss Yancey would also say to us, always be true to thyself. 
always, you can't fool yourself. You have to go to bed with yourself at night. That is something. And so I took that as always, you know, at the end of the day, is that something I can live with? Is this something that I would be proud of? Uh, is this something Ms. Yancey would want me to do? And I've thought about that all my life. When I got into the sixth grade, uh, I had a teacher by the name of Mr. Clinton, and he taught us uh, the power of having a, a positive mental attitude. And there was a number of books that we read, and I'm sure everybody's gone through the Napoleon Hill series and all the rest of them there, all that, you know. And we had ones uh, where we were taught to be positive and the benefits of having a positive attitude, how it helps you to progress, how it, help, how it would help you to survive the slings and arrows of a normal life when things go bad, because it's not a perfect life. Nobody expects it to be. But when things go bad, it's how you handle it. And those two teachers, I think, loomed large in my life. I've had a number of great coaches throughout my years who also taught me wonderful things about perseverance and things of that sort. So it's all the basics, honesty, integrity, and hard work. I think that's what it's always boiled down to. And the people in my life always seem to have those three issues uh, crop back up and talk about the hard work an honest day's work and have integrity about your work and don't do the job if you can't do it. Don't take the work, don't do the, the labor unless you can deliver a good product to the folks. Uh, naturally had a good home life where my parents again instilled those values on a consistent basis. But I have to go all the way back to Delaney Elementary to say they got they laid the groundwork. And in dealing with kids nowadays, I realize how important it is to have somebody in your life at that early stage to help you out. That is hard after you hit the ages of 12, 13 to start rebuilding those years and how to instill those values. That's something where oftentimes I talk to people and I say, uh, didn't you feel anything in the middle of your chest when you were doing that? Didn't you feel some type of uneasiness? Didn't your moral compass start spinning the other way or going around in circles? And if they look at you with a blank face, you just sort of say, okay, well, let's move on then. You know, and you, you, I won't say in the back of my mind, I'm talking that up and saying, wow, what can we do to help this young man or this young lady to start getting back on the right track? But it's always there. And so it boils down to the be true to thyself, to understand your own limitations, to understand the good parts about you and understand the parts that need to have some more work done. Absolutely great advice to your audience. You got from the fourth and sixth grade back in elementary. That's, that's amazing. Be true to thyself. Is it a big hurt or small hurt? You know, that's, that's pretty cool. Understanding a positive attitude to reframe. So great coaching, great advice to our audience. Uh, and for those big hurts or small hurts or those, those slings and arrows, how do you handle challenges either you face or currently facing? Well, at this stage, I realize you're going to wake up tomorrow, most likely. And then one day you're not. So you, you really shouldn't sweat it. You know, that's, that's what I tell folks. And I said, don't sweat the small stuff, don't sweat the big stuff. It's going to resolve one way or the other. Is you got to use your, your common sense and look at it and realize you're going to survive this. You're going to go on. And, it's, and it, it may sound crazy, but I tell people, and I, I don't think there's anybody who sentenced more people in felony court than myself in the history of Summer County. That's not a great record necessarily, but it's just a fact of life. And so lots of times I've talked to a lot of people and I tell them, I said, this is not the best day of your life. Hopefully it will be the worst, but I, hopefully it's all up from here. But let me tell you, there's life after this. You've got to look past this. You've got to get past this. You've got to go on. And I tell them, I'm not giving you the roadmap to a successful or a good life. I'm just telling you there's more after this. So don't let this be the end of the road to speak. There is going to be more. You've got to keep on thinking. You've got to keep on pushing. You've got to survive. And, and, and so to that extent, you, you, you know, you just have to let people understand 
that when you are confronted with something, there's other people in the world that are also being confronted with something at the same time. That even though you think I'm the only person with this heavy of a load, I'm the only person with this type of problem, nobody else has this medical thing, you know, and if you've ever walked into the doctors and they call another doctor, they go, what do you think this is? That's not a good day. It's not like they're looking at your transmission or something and say, hey, what's going on, you know? And so I realized that when folks have problems, they aren't necessarily going to express them. It's not necessarily the American way to let everybody know about your problems. You know, we're stand-up strong people. We don't let everybody know. And it goes on, and, and especially with the veterans and the folks like that, you know, like, hey, we're tough. We can handle it. It may not be the best approach, but you can't necessarily guess what their problems are, or you can't speculate what the problems are. But if something's bothering something, somebody, you can give them a few words of encouragement and say, hey, I don't expect you to unburden with everything here today. It's five minutes in front of a judge, five minutes in front of court. But if there's other things, you've got a probation officer you can talk to. There's other avenues. There's other folks. Don't be afraid to express what those issues are, because once you get them off of your back, you'll find life is a lot easier to go through. Because you just got to get to that point. And that point's good when you're aware of it. Go ahead and let somebody know. And if you need some help with some folks, that's what's going on. It's not my job to be Dr. Phil here in five minutes to do a psychological assessment and give you the wonder words. It's just to let you know that, hey, there's other people that are going through the same thing. There's other people who have walked this path before. Perhaps you can learn from them. You don't want to? Absolutely fine. If you want to, make that decision. Just trying to help you enjoy life. And that's why we're here. The bottom line is I tell folks, we're here to enjoy life. It's written in the Constitution. It should be etched inside of everybody's skull there that we're here to enjoy life. And if somehow we can help you to do that out of this very, very bad situation where you find yourself before a guy in a black robe who only knows a little bit about you for five minutes here, if there's something that can be done, then let us do it if we can help you. I love the fact that, you know, to tell someone there is life after this, you know, it's so encouraging. Even when you are in a situation where you feel a ton of bricks on your shoulders, it's always good to hear that, that there is a way forward from here. And I love how you say, you know, hopefully this is the worst day and, and it's all up from here. Sure. Now, those opportunities uh, present you with uh, opportunities to change. So how do you deal with strat uh, strategizing around times of change uh, that the listener will, will learn from? Well, it, you know, when you become a judge, everybody thinks you're on the top of the heap, that you get to do everything that you want to do and that nobody can tell you what to do. The first time I went to a judge's conference, I, uh, lunch was at 12 o'clock. So I said, I'm going to leave at a five till 12. I'm going to get to the head of lunch line since guess what? I like to eat. As I was walking about out of the uh, auditorium, a foot went across my path, and it was the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court blocking my path saying, where do you think you're going? We got five minutes left. <laughs> and right then and there, you realize you're back in the heap again. You're with everybody else. Somebody's telling you what to do, no matter how high you go, no matter what happens, there's always somebody who's above you. There's always going to be a boss. And so when you realize what you thought was going to be major change really wasn't a change, I think that's the way I examine most situations. I go, first of all, to myself and I say, is this a change? What's different about this? And some things really aren't a change. It's just that they're not doing it the way that I wanted to do it or I would like to do it. And I consider that to be a change. So really what it is, it's a difference of opinion versus a change. And 
the analysis is, well, let's see why they're doing that or why they think this is a better way or whatever. And sometimes it's a great idea. Sometimes it's not a great idea. But I usually go back and I talk to the proponent of change and say, I understand why you're doing this. Have you understood the practicalities of why this is going to affect us or, what, or how it's going to affect us or what it's going to do? And then we discuss it that way. If it's something that I'm proposing as far as a change, I think it's important for me, just like any good salesman, any good attorney, to sell it to the folks, to go ahead and let them know why this is going to make their life better, why this is going to help us, why are we going to be doing a service, why if it's more difficult, the end result is going to deliver a better product in the justice business, why we're going to be able to get people in and out of court better, why are we going to be able to get them a better resolution, why it's going to make uh, the reporting system easier, so on and so forth. So I think it's best for me before I ever start thinking about change is to define it, identify it, and see if it really is a change. If it's one that I'm proposing, then I need to understand how other people are going to view it, what they're going to ask as far as questions and try to anticipate. And if it's something that comes out of clear blue and it hits you, uh, it may sound strange. I'm always interested in that type of change. I always say, I'm, I'm sort of happy to see something different at this stage of my life. You know, when something new comes up when I'm in court and something different happens or they make an argument, I say, I've never heard of that before. It's going to be a good day today. You know, it's, it's sort of like that. So if it's a positive change, if somebody says, guess what? We're going to put walnuts and peanuts on your banana split this time. I go, really? Because I like ice cream. I said, well, that's a change I can live with. And the same thing happens to a certain degree in life. Guess what? We are going to do X, Y, and Z today. And I never thought about that, but hey, you know, and it, it, it comes back for change. I think if you have a closed mind, you're never going to, you're never going to learn. You're never going, you basically stop the learning process right there. So you have to have an open mind to be receptive. And you don't have to necessarily agree and you don't necessarily have to follow it if that's something that goes contrary to what you think is really in the best interest, uh, if you have that ability. But sometimes there's change, which I disagree with vehemently, which I still have to go with um, because I'm ordered to by a, a judge or a system that says, this is what you do. And some examples of that, when it comes to sentencing, there's a lot of situations that happen in sentencing where I disagree with it, absolutely. And I would say, probably 25% of the sentences that I've given out over the course of my life, I disagree with, but I am bound by law to do certain things. And I said, this is overkill, this is too much, or this is not enough, this is insufficient, this does not deal with the situation. And I uh, disagree with it, but I have to do it that way anyway. And so it, it's very interesting when you deal with change in the legal system or how you go about uh, uh, resolving some of these issues. And I think some of the things that you can see is We've had the, the, the review of mandatory sentencing and drug cases that has just come up and you find both parties realizing something wrong in the system has happened over the years that there was a knee jerk reaction to what was a big problem in society. And we decided to go, uh, we veered off one lane. We went all the way across the highway into the ditch and that's how we resolved it. And we finally got ourselves out of the ditch. And, and unfortunately or fortunately, I, I've been saying at least it happened. And it's like Abraham Lincoln says, the best way to get rid of a bad law is to vigorously enforce it. I'm paraphrasing Abraham Lincoln, of course, he didn't say it exactly that way. And that's what's happened. We, we unfortunately sentenced a lot of people to very onerous sentences for now in retrospect does not seem to be appropriate by anybody's standard definition. And we're trying to connect, to correct it. 
And so there's other areas of the law that you can talk about that, but we are not political animals as judges. So we don't get to go up there and say, this is a bad thing. And it's sort of hard to take on a fight with the politicians who's appealing to people who perhaps they want red meat as far as some issues. And you're going to say such and such, and they're going to consider you to be soft or, or just disrespectful to other aspects of the system. So we as judges stay out of it unless it's directly related to something that has already transpired in the judicial system or prospectively with respect to laws. And we don't appear uh, by ourselves. We, we have a group, a group consensus how we're going to deal with this. So the days of us just going up there willy-nilly by judges by themselves and talking about this have basically drawn to a close. We have a united front and we discuss amongst ourselves as judges what we'd like to see done. And even then there's going to be disagreement and there's going to be change. So it's, it's interesting. So basically it's just like everybody else. We all have to accept the good parts and the bad parts. We've got to learn to go forward and we've got to learn to live with it. And God bless us all. Hopefully we can live to see another day. And if we want to change it, we got to work to change it the way that everybody else does. Absolutely, Judge. <laughs> uh, we are here with Ken Lester today and have an open mind, as he mentioned, as far as embracing those strategies and those changes. Great pearls of wisdom. You dropped some great nuggets of knowledge all, all throughout this uh, session. For our listeners that want to either contact you or learn more about how to become a judge or via the judicial system, how do they contact or reach you, sir? Well, the easiest way is they can email me at kenlester327 uh, gmail.com, kenlester327 gmail.com, or they can call me at 407-921-5160, 407-921-5160. And I, I have a website for the campaign, but if you can just go to Google and you can put my name in there, Ken Lester Judge, and they'll, they'll deliver you to about 15 different sites and you can see all the ones where they love me. You can see all the ones where they hate me. You see all the ones where they don't know about me and say, who is this guy? But there's one on there that you can find and they'll give you some information how to get in touch with me. Well, outstanding folks. We'll have that as part of the show notes and video so that you can get a hold of uh, Judge Lester. Judge, it's been such a great pleasure uh, you know, listening to you. I, I, I've been chuckling back here <laughs> as you as you're going on, but a great wisdom shared. And folks, if you want to get a hold of the Leadership Void podcast, send your email request to the leadership void at gmail.com, where we'll curate all requests. If you want a, a leadership topic co uh, covered or a special speaker as a guest, let us know there. Uh, but today, Judge, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. It's been my pleasure. I enjoy it. Thank you very much, Enrique. Thank you very much, Ben. Absolutely. And a couple other things. The home, home Team Mortgage is our sponsor, definitely taking care of us throughout these seasons and throughout these great podcasts. And we do another great thing, Radio Check, every 1st and the 15th, 1900, which is 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. An opportunity for our first responders, our military community, come together, listen to us on LinkedIn Live, and share resources, just band together, and, and you know, help one another out. So hopefully we'll see you on the 15th of July or on the 1st every 1st of the 15, 1907 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But today is all about Judge Ken Lester. Again, as uh, echo what Erika said, it was a pleasure having you. It's an honor to have you. Thank you and good luck with your campaign. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Have a good day. Thank you for tuning in to the Leadership Board Podcast. If you have any topics you would like to discuss or you are dealing with leadership issues, 
be sure to write us at theleadershipvoid at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe and share. Until next time.